0: Hello and welcome to the Project U podcast. I'm Leighton Collins, I'm your host. Uh, I've spent nearly the last 10 years working in the careers industry. Each time we're gonna have a look at careers in the widest sense, maybe the sectors that we're working in, but most importantly, we're gonna think about you. Uh, Today, we're gonna have a little look at the future of careers. So there'll always be a little short version that lasts a couple of minutes, uh, but for now let's hop in that time machine, grab our robots and head to the future. So it's 1999. The news is full of the millennium bug. Our computers stored the year date as two digits, 97, 98, 99, and it was going to flip to zero, zero. The fear was that computers would think it was 1900, not 2000, and all of our technology would just collapse. So loads of effort was put into dealing with that. Google had just launched a year earlier with a $100,000 startup investment. Older listeners might remember um, some of those more popular search engines competing against Google in those early days, the likes of Lycos and Ask Jeeves and Yahoo. Internet connection at home was fairly rare, actually. Uh, It ran through the house phone line, so if you wanted to go online, people, other people in the house couldn't make a phone call at the same time. If uh, someone was already on the phone, you had to wait for them to get off before you could go and get on the internet. TV. I was talking to my kids recently about television in the late 90s. There were four, maybe five channels if you were lucky, unless you had Satellite, Sky and stuff like that. There was no pausing the show because you needed to nip to the loo. There was no fast forwarding through the advert break. And there was no on demand. If you'd missed episode two and episode three was on this week, tough. You've missed it. If you wanted to watch a movie, you had to think about what you want to watch, get in the car, drive to the video shop, somewhere like Blockbuster's, pay to borrow the film on a VHS tape for one night, come home, watch it, and then drive it back the next day. Somebody else had got there first and they'd got their hands on that new copy of Top Gun or whatever it was and rented it. Well, you had to choose a different film because that one was out. My kids were baffled by this and I felt really, really old. Um, I felt like I was describing a time from like the 1800s. And that's my point. I'm not that old. But technology is moving so quickly. So you're only looking back 20 years or so. If we think 20 years into the future, the massive steps we've seen in technology will be even more so as we go forward another 20 or 25 years. Another good example among for the gamers amongst us, You um, think to, of the original Super Mario Brothers game. So the entire game, which is a classic and is still really playable, if you can dig out the emulator or your old uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, the entire game was 32 kilobytes in size. And if I take just a a random snap on my phone, uh, I'm out to lunch, I'm having tacos, snap, there's a picture of that. That photo is a file that is 16 megabytes. And for the nerds amongst us, um, a megabyte is over a 1,000 kilobytes. It's uh, 1,024 kilobytes. Mario's latest adventure, when I had a look at this on the Nintendo Switch, is relatively small in in modern gaming, but is just under 3 gigabytes in size. So it's almost 3,000 megabytes. So for Mario, from 1985 up to 2023, so yeah, admittedly nearly 40 years, the size of that plumber in his game has been multiplied almost 90,000 times the size of that game file. And as a side note for the gamers amongst us, uh, the biggest game out on the PlayStation 5 at the moment is somewhere in the region of 280 gigabytes. It is big. Let's think about communication, because that moves a bit more into our kind of business world as well as our personal life. Most people were still using one of two methods to communicate. You would write or print a letter and you'd stick it in an envelope, you'd stick a stamp on or you'd frank it if you were at work and off it would go in the post and the postie would take it and deliver it, maybe the next day if we're lucky. Or the telephone call, often through a fixed line, the the phone at your desk at work or the phone maybe in your hallway or your kitchen at home mobile phones were around we're in the late 90s and they were around but only about a quarter of brits had one uh, so still 75 percent of brits didn't have a mobile phone and this is only 20 years ago they were expensive a call could cost r- around about 35p a minute texts were limited um this is crazy to to think about and does make me feel old even as i'm saying it texts were limited to 150 characters and that cost you 10 pence to send one of those so those of us who remember uh, those early days of texting you would be um shortening words as best you could and it would be the letter u instead of the word u spelled y-o-u and so on because every letter counted 150 characters is about half a tweet to give you a bit of context i looked into um like a a sales catalogue from the late 90s and email was described as the future of home communication which is quite something now because it feels if anything it feels a little bit dated we're much more likely to use social media or send a text or send a whatsapp than we are to create an email and send it to your email address that you're going to go and check so that already feels like it might be a little bit dated business was still using fax machines, I'd recommend you just Google that or go and find one in a museum. So why are we looking at 1999? It's easier sometimes when we're thinking about future thinking and future planning to just glance back over our shoulder and see how far we've come. So here we are, we stand in the present day, we're in the 2020s um, and everything around us feels normal, on-demand TV. Netflix, uh, the stuff that my phone can do, all feels really normal. So to look to the future, to look to the 2040s or maybe even the 2050s is really profound. It is as profound as me back in 1999 thinking about today. Whatever stage uh, of your life you're at right now, you will be in a different one because 20 years is a big chunk of your life. So if you are a a new graduate and you're in your early 20s, you're trying to visualize being a middle-aged worker well into your career, perhaps with a family at home. If you're a relatively young worker person in your 40s right now, you're planning your retirement. And that's a, a strange thing to think about. If um, you are a 15, 16-year-old and you're doing your GCSEs, you're year 11, you're trying to imagine having gone right through that, potentially through the rest of your school, through college, through university, through more than double of everything you've lived. You're 15, you're 16, and we're talking about adding another 20 years to your life. So it's really hard sometimes to look forwards and and dive into the future. And it could just be anything. You could just be guessing. Um, 2040 almost feels like there should be robots and flying cars and AI and everything else. And it's just really hard to know. So that's why I glance back over my shoulder um, the same way that me in 1999 would have found it really hard to imagine. I know you can't see me, but the thing that I'm holding in my hand, my phone, um, really hard to imagine that that would fit into my pocket and deep breath. It is a phone, a camera, a video camera, um, a map and a map that puts me on it and can track where I am. A map of the whole world, not even my city, a radio, a TV. It's my bank. It's all the shops I need. I want to buy something, I can use that device that's in my pocket. It's a computer, and this is scary, with access to all that knowledge that is out there. Most of the knowledge in the world is out there on the internet, and I can access it from a little piece of a little thing that fits in my pocket or fits in your handbag or whatever. It's a calculator, it is my email. Um, It's a way that I can instantly message a friend on the other side of the world. It's the day's newspaper. It's a gaming device. It's got games as good as I could get on a console, certainly 20 years ago. Games are better on my phone now. It's a, a butler, a personal assistant. Think about Siri. Think about, um, you know, Alexa at home and things like that. That's what you've got access to. And it's silly stuff too. I can download an app that I can roll the dice. So if I'm playing a game with my kids and we've lost the dice that comes with the board game, out comes my phone and we tap the screen and it rolls a three all of that in my pocket so if you will look forward to like what 2045 what might you have in your pocket then will we have moved on uh, into that whole kind of wearable technology now that's being looked at right now but smart glasses and things that would be part of your clothing even your smart watch is a fairly normal thing now, it tracks your heartbeat, it tracks how far you've moved, It can, you can pay for goods with a tap of your watch. Will your, i use the word phone carefully, but will your mobile still be the device of choice? Will we have become so attached and it's hard to imagine not having that thing in your pocket? Will we have like implants and stuff that do some of this for us? That's, scares some people and there's you know you can find that things online um as to who's using your data who's looking at that information and who's tracking you but i can be tracked by my watch or my mobile phone in my pocket so would it just be as easy for things where i can just like fingerprint stuff or just bit things or you know will Siri becomes super Siri and a bit like Iron Man in the Marvel movies with Jarvis. I can just talk and there'll be overlays appear on my glasses or be projected into my vision. It becomes a bit science fiction-y and it becomes a little bit scary. But who knows? And actually, you might be part of developing that stuff, whether that's in the thinking and creative aspect or in the engineering and the kind of production and programming of this sort of stuff. Will technology and artificial intelligence, AI, will that make our lives easier and more productive? Or is there still some truth in, in that fear that some people have about losing their jobs? Will the robots have stolen all of our jobs? Will the robots have stolen those jobs that are perhaps traditionally more suited at younger people or those people who've had a break from the labour market through uh, poor health or through taking a, a pause to have a, a family? Think about the present it's not too long ago that you would go into a shop or you would go into a place like McDonald's and there would be a whole bank of people smiling at you, workers on checkouts going, hello, how can I help you today? Or scanning your goods or taking your order. An increasing number of those jobs have been replaced by self-service screens or the ability to order on your phone through an app and that kind of thing. So, even looking around online you can google this sort of stuff and even there i'm using one of the companies that was a hundred thousand startup uh, 20 years ago there are plans for checkout free shops so you go in you walk around you pick something off the shelf that's what i want you put it in your bag you don't even need to put it in your basket you put it literally in your rucksack your handbag Um, and the store itself is watching you tracking what's happening and is charging you you want to take that sandwich and that drink brilliant as you leave the shop, I've just deducted £5.50 out of your bank balance or something like that. Shopping hasn't really changed since Roman times. That is crazy. So you have a customer, you have a shopkeeper if you will, you've got the product, the goods, the things that I want, and there's an exchange of money that takes place. I'm coming into your business, I want that thing, that sandwich, thanks very much, here's some money, see you later, off I go. We're potentially on the cusp of shopping changing, which has been relatively consistent for centuries so that it would become something totally different. It's still me, the customer. There's still the goods. There's still that sandwich or that drink or that book or whatever. And then technology steps in and takes over the rest of it. A little bit scary if you're a shopkeeper, a little bit scary if you're a shop assistant, a little bit scary if that's what you think that's all you can do as well, if you don't have skills that could move you into a different job or a different role. Or your shopkeeper role could be uh, better suited to actually dealing with your customers and talking to clients and customers rather than just scanning things at a till. So let's get back to us. What do we need to worry about? Really interestingly, I decided to use an online AI chatbot. And if you've not played with these, I'd suggest you look into it, have a little play with it, ask it some questions. You can do stuff like you, like my kids do with Siri. They say, "Tell me a joke," or you know, you could type in, "Tell me a scary story." I asked this AI chatbot um, which jobs are most likely to be automated in the next twenty years, and this is the answer it gave. And I'm going to read it out for you, and then I'll kind of condense some of it. So the development of automation and AI technology is likely to lead to the automation of various jobs in the coming years. Okay, nothing particularly surprising there. However, predicting which specific jobs will be automated is challenging. It depends on many factors, such as the rate of technological progress, the cost of implementing automation, and the availability of skilled labour. So I suppose what they're saying, (coughs) what they're saying there is, Is it really expensive to put in those touchscreen ordering things into a McDonald's? Have you got skilled labor that can do it really well and reliably and potentially cheaply? And at what point are they gonna make the jump and automate that role? So let's get back to our our, our bot. Um, That being said, some jobs that are at higher risk of being automated in the next 20 years include, and it names me seven kind of areas, data entry and processing jobs. I can see that because that's a fairly routine thing. Here's a spreadsheet, and we need to put it into the system. I'm going to pay someone to sit all day long typing numbers up, and there's human error, so they might hit the four instead of the five on the keyboard. I can automate that. Administrative support roles, such as receptionists and office clerks. I've been to visit um, business like locations, an office block or whatever, and I've not always been welcomed by someone on that front desk. I type in on a little screen who I've come to see, it tells me which um, floor they're on, it tells me to get into lift A or lift B or lift C, and then it automatically takes me to that department, office, whatever. So I lose a bit of the kind of smiley, hello, how are you, I'm here to see blah, blah, blah. But it's been automated. Let's look at number three, manufacturing and assembly line jobs, okay, so a repetitive process. So that's not kind of precision engineering or really kind of high-skilled work, but that is we've got components A, B, and C, and we need to put them together. A and B go together first, and C goes on top. Well, I could pay someone to do that all day long, and they would become very expert at it. You can see videos of people online doing this sort of stuff where they're really quick and really slick. Maybe automation glues together A and B, and someone just puts C on top and checks it. In time, maybe it just does the whole thing and someone is doing a more advanced thing further down the line. Job number four or area number four, driving jobs such as trucks and taxi drivers. So, you again, you can find stuff online about automated vehicles uh, like Google's driverless cars. If you are a young person now and you're like 21 and you're about to train to be a lorry driver or a cabbie or something like that, and you think that you're going to still be doing that when you're 65, you're probably not. Um, That sense of a driverless vehicle, they'll be able to factor in safety checks. A a self-driving car isn't going to get tired. A self-driving car didn't have too much to drink the night before. A self-driving car didn't get distracted by something on the radio or didn't notice an accident on the other side of the road and started staring over at that. So, it's probably a sector that could well see some replacement. But they, those vehicles may need to be observed from a central hub and watched and that kind of thing. Customer service jobs, especially in call centers. Those AI bots are quite scary. In the, it feels like you could be talking to someone. You think about... Um, You've got a complaint about something, or you've got an inquiry about something, you go to their website and it says, hello, I am Barbara and starts asking you questions. That's not a real person really called Barbara. That's your first line of, can I get some information out of you? And it goes, oh, I'll just rewrote you to a real person who will now pick up this problem. So some of those jobs already are automated, surely only going to get more sophisticated in the next 20 years retail sales jobs especially repetitive tasks such as stock management and cashier duties so they will you would imagine there's still be a demand for you go into a high-end shop or you're um, you're a grandparent and you're looking to buy that new game for your grandkids games console and you've no idea what a playstation an xbox or a nintendo is so you go in and you go straight to an assistant hello this is what i want for christmas for my grandkid can you help me There's always going to be that kind of skilled human job, uh, and it really is human with humanity and communication and a bit of charm and a bit of expertise. But actually, you can still self-scan, and maybe we'll find ways to manage our stock and check what's in the warehouse and stuff like that, and we can automate those slightly more mundane, slightly more repetitive tasks. And then the final one, it suggested jobs in the food industry, such as fast food workers and bartenders. We've kind of spoken about the McDonald's screen. That's a really good example, isn't it, of um, only 20 years ago, you would have loads of particularly teenagers working Saturday shift in a McDonald's or whatever like that. And it's a decent job, a bit of money. You're doing your your A-levels, your college course, whatever, um, and you've got a job at a place like that. Those jobs now, there may be fewer of them, or the jobs won't just be standing on the till, taking orders and shouting it into the back and then the last thing it said however it's important to note that automation doesn't necessarily mean the complete elimination of a job it may result in the transformation of tasks leading to the creation of new job opportunities in areas such as technology robotics and engineering and that's it that's it from the ai bot but the scary thing is so me as a career specialist with almost a decade working in the sector that's probably not far off what i would have said so that ai isn't creatively thinking it is drawing on a bank of knowledge from people like myself who've you know blogged about it written about it whatever but it's able to reproduce that expertise that i have and that's a little bit scary okay so let's um think on a little bit more you can see that some jobs are likely to have gone in the next 20 years So um, they may be gone that they're no longer required. Um, Way back when you used to get video cassettes before DVDs and before we all went online. There probably aren't many Betamax video engineers out there anymore. That's very much a kind of museum piece of technology now. But there'll be other jobs that are gone because they're removed through automation. How do we protect ourselves from that? Um, Probably the main thing would be to recognize the thing called the skills economy so you think about your skills and that's what you're selling. That's what makes you stand out. That's what makes you more productive and more attractive than automation. So think about your communication, your ability to, to speak, your ability to listen, your ability to infer what's being said to you, your ability to read body language, your ability to maybe calm down a complaint or to go back to that grandparent your ability to get alongside a granny who's trying to buy something that they're not familiar with. Think about your problem solving, particularly your creative thinking. So not just your ability to solve a problem that's happened before, that gets back to that repetitiveness, but your ability to strategize and come up with a new way of solving that problem, a new way of thinking. Really importantly, Think about your humanity, your human traits, your empathy, your warmth, your compassion. Just that oh you're so caring and kind, you, aren't you? How on earth could we reproduce that with technology, even if we wanted to and even if we tried? They're probably the things that are going to be really with us, that and that creativity. Think about your people skills, so your leadership, your teamwork. Think about your Um, ability to persuade your negotiation skills. Think about your self-confidence. Think about that vision, that motivation, that strategic thinking, that, come on, guys, this is where this business is going. Who's with me? Let's go and do it. That inspiration that comes from that. So will we still have medical doctors in 20 years' time? Yes, yeah, we will. Will they use technology to an even greater extent than they currently do to enhance their expertise and their ability to deliver their work yeah of course they will will we still have care workers supporting the elderly hopefully not as kind of underpaid as they are uh, at present but um at the moment maybe regarded as a lower skilled job maybe regarded as a job that requires less academic qualification uh, maybe regarded as, as, as a job that's kind of at the bottom of the the scale uh, i i don't fully believe that myself, but maybe seen that way, yes, we'll need those people because those jobs take a a special skill, which is a whole load of humanity. Think about that for yourself. Would you want that equivalent of the McDonald's touchscreen checkout assistant checking in on your granny three times a day? Or do you want that real person who pops in, who's got a smile on their face, who puts a smile on granny's face? who deals with her personal care, makes a cup of tea, brightens up your granny's day, and then see you later, I'll be back for tea time. Or do you just want something a bit more kind of cold and robotic? Jobs that feel like they are kind of good jobs, if you will, they might actually be more at risk. You can look at stuff, uh, there's there's thinking online about this, you can look at stuff like the legal sector, um, big data and artificial intelligence, might actually automate some aspects of the legal sector and some of the roles within there or some aspects of what a person does. Like our friend AI said, part of your job might go and you will keep you for the other part. Think about stuff like accountancy. The use of technology is already in that sector and again, may displace roles. So going back to our AI bot friend, um, jobs might not vanish completely. But the job you currently do, that may change. So the the bits that are more routine, the bits that are repetitive, those slightly brain dead bits and tasks of your job that maybe you totally hate because it's just boring and mundane or actually when you're tired and it's Friday afternoon and you've just got that little bit of routine job that you've been saving. Maybe you like that little bit, I don't know. but those tasks are more likely to be automated, so that your skills can be better applied. Hopefully, applying those core skills that you've got into that more demanding bit of your job is something that you attracted that attracted you to do that job in the first place. You think about a teacher in a school, if. I could say to a teacher, right, look, this bit of automation is going to deal with your marking and the feedback that you give to the kids It's either going to remove it completely or it's going to deal with 90% of it. So that that technology has taken a chunk of your job off your hands. Now, the, the time that that's freed up gives you some opportunity to invest in your planning, to really bring your lessons to life and bring your classroom to life. It's going to give you more time to rest for yourself so your energy your enthusiasm can pour into your classroom and support the the learners that are there and can put you in front of students for more time because you don't need time away from the coal face as it is um planning and thinking and prepping and marking and stuff like that so you could argue that that would help um this might actually deal with many issues. It might make that job more productive, but it might deal with burnout in the industry. So there's teachers that are up till one o'clock in the morning marking books and, and looking through essays and giving feedback. Maybe it takes that off their hands. It might address that dropout wor- uh, rate of of workers in the industry. So we're not having to repeatedly train up teachers and see them leave the uh, the sector, train up some more and then see li- them leave the sector. So it might deal with some more kind of society-wide issues. It's hard, if not impossible, to say that an individual product will change the workplace. And by that, I mean, I can't just say, here's the iPhone, here's Google, here's Facebook or the equivalent of that thinking from 20 years ago as to what that next product or brand or company will be in 20 years time. So it's more about thinking about the wider aspects that we consider, and that's what we're going to have a little look at now. So rather than trying to predict the next uh, Google or the next product like an iPhone or whatever, let's think slightly wider and slightly more generically so AI and machine learning we've kind of looked about we've looked at that a little bit um, my example of actually using it to make this this podcast um, and asking AI some questions to feed in it's it's here and it's now robotics as well um, so yes they're here and now but you know who knows maybe working in more demanding or unsafe or remote areas you only need to think about a, a present day situation, an engineer having to climb to the top of an 80 meter tall wind turbine, You know they're huge when you get up close to them, to just assess whether it's working okay, to evaluate it, or maybe to actually carry out a repair. That assessment could be done by sensors that are up there, but what about using a repair drone so you can fly something up, you can be as remote as you like, Um, or the turbines might be out at sea and somewhere that's harder to get to, you fly up your repair drone, you do your assessment, you do your evaluation, or you deliver that repair that's operated by an expert engineer remotely. Another good example of that would be you think about um, medics in hospital, think about keyhole surgery. It's probably in the lifetime of people who are still around now as grandparents, if you're going back to kind of the fifties and sixties that you would have really intrusive surgery. We're going to open up big parts of your body. We're going to risk uh, infection and and everything else that comes with it. We now have pretty high level surgeries, but that can be carried out through very small um, incisions, very, you know, we're not being overly intrusive into the body. Keyhole surgery has developed massively in our lifetime. So at the minute, even currently right now, you can get quite small cameras in, you can get small tools for cutting or for um, what they call it when they're like burning it, you know, sealing things off. I'm no medic. Uh, But being manually operated on site by an expert medic who's well practiced in that, probably looking at the screen rather than looking down at the body because they need to see what that camera is doing in front of them. What on earth will that technology look like with another 20 years development? So you've still got that expert medic, but maybe you're part of developing that technology that makes it even more fantastic and fabulous. You can't imagine taking a patient or a doctor from the 50s and sticking them in a modern hospital and not just blowing their mind. So what would we think of medicine in the 2050s as an example? Think about virtual reality. Those headsets have come, and the software, have come a long way from my first experience of it as a teenager back in the 90s. I remember seeing them on gaming TV shows. I remember there was a really rubbish film um, that I can't remember the name of from the 90s. And there were these really big things. I had a go on one at the seaside once. It was really expensive to play, and it wasn't very good. And you got about 30 seconds on it. VR now, so in the College of Animal Welfare, where I work, uh, we use VR as a kind of immersive experience for our students to be able to practice their veterinary nursing practical work so that they are repeating and repeating and repeating, building that kind of muscle memory, um, maybe making mistakes, OK, and maybe getting it right. There's a bit of a thing called gamification where you, there's a bit of a, yeah, I did it, you know, I played this VR bit of my job and my training and i was successful and so there's a, an a element of reward that we enjoy getting it right but you are practicing in a zero risk environment so you stick on that vr headset on a student um, and everything goes as bad as it could have and the patient dies and there are things that are damaged and so on you just reboot the program and you go again nothing's actually gone wrong and nothing's actually been damaged bot and this is a massive bot isn't it The learner has learnt so much from that rich teacher of failure that we've looked at before um by messing up on this vr kind of simulation they're like oh okay you really don't do this this and this that will be a disaster so they've learned a lot um a student out on placement well they can only learn about the sticking with that veterinary nursing, they can only learn about the animal that comes through the door, the uncertainty about what's gonna come in, what um, ailment, what animal, whatever. Whereas VR gives that learner, who's still in their kind of study time and placement and that kind of thing, gives them the chance to manufacture a situation. So I want to practice on this particular illness or ailment or um, accident or whatever, that's the program I'm going to load up until I'm really, really confident with it. Or I want to deal with a more, um, a slightly rarer animal or a more exotic animal. Well, that's the program I'm going to load up. So I really am aware of the anatomy of that animal. So you can practice with those really super rare situations that in the real world, you might have that most experienced member of the vet practice go, yeah, I've seen this. We had one come in seven years ago and I dealt with it then. So I know what to do and I've read about it you can have a student that goes, oh, yeah, I've practiced on this, so that they are ultimately an even better trained up learner. A slightly away from vet nursing, I've um, I've seen VR being exhibited at careers fairs by um, like aeronautical, astronautical engineering companies. So the challenge of that is um, the environment, getting to where you want to do it, and the cost, and you can just deal with all of that stuff. You're not trying to have a go by getting up into you know low orbit or getting up into space which is incredibly expensive and difficult you can have a go on the ground with vr and that's not new in itself so if you look into the apollo missions neil armstrong and all that kind of thing they did months and months of training in advance of the moon landing so that their movements their actions were just second nature it's that muscle memory again but they'll be practicing out in the desert and in uh, planes rather than in kind of rockets in space and so on but vr makes it more affordable and just makes it easier so what could vr look like in 20 years um would it just be less clunky headsets would it be actually some physical feedback or pressure on your body think back to that vet nurse can you physically rather than just seeing stuff through your headset can you physically feel the weight of that animal that's um wriggling around on the table and you're having to maneuver can you smell things as well? Is it even more immersive? So that actually it's not just muscle memory of, I see it and I've got my brain around it, but I can feel it. And this is the bit that's physically tiring. And and this is gonna push back against me when I when I do that and so on. There's plenty to think about. Let's move slightly away from science fiction and technology. So let's finally just consider factors that aren't technology related. An ageing population, so the impact that it has on the workforce, that we're living for longer and maybe we're having fewer kids and so on, so the average age of our population is growing as time goes on. Fewer workers, but also potentially um, people living longer, but living longer with health issues that are manageable, but then there's demand for care and demand for healthcare and demand for support that's required in that as well maybe you get to hang on some real expertise and that kind of wise old head and keep them in your workforce for longer than you would have traditionally think as well about the increased pressure of the global population the demand for food the demand for resources maybe that will drive us to make decisions to move away from meat production and look into more sustainable ways of producing the food that we need for the world population green energy it feels like a bit of a kind of buzzword um, but it's here to stay and it is really hard to imagine this but there are estimates that suggest our known supplies of oil will be gone by the 2050s now if you told me that when i was a kid well that was ages away but i'm getting older and time is passing and that's now only maybe 30 years away So that's well within most of our lifetimes that a problem will arise and we need to figure out how we're going to solve it. Will um, global, without wishing to be overly political or um, sociological, but will global economics continue the way they are going with people like Jeff Bezos, bless him, um, a small number of super wealthy people holding an increasingly increasingly the majority of the global wealth? Or will there be a tipping point? And what in turn would that leave society looking like? What in turn would that leave job roles looking like? What in turn would that leave your job role looking like, the sector that you're really passionate about and want to work in? What are those jobs that don't yet exist that we will be doing in 20 years' time? Again, that sounds quite profound, so the easy way is to look back over your shoulder. If you think back to the 1990s and you think about jobs like social media manager, uh, sports data analysis, drone operator, content creator, uh, robotics engineer, they either just weren't a thing, they didn't exist, or they were absolutely in their infancy. So whilst I can't name jobs that don't exist because they don't exist. And if I name them, I've made them exist. (laughs) Um, And there's your paradox. You can see by looking backwards. Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. So there genuinely will be jobs that you might do, that your kids might do, that your grandkids might do that just don't exist yet. All right. Final top tips. Don't fear change. Go out, find out about it, think about it mull over it talk to people plan for it let that change work for you that technology is going to make you a better version of yourself and make you do your job to a better standard rather than you working for it and going ah I've lost my job to a robot look back sometimes to look forwards so if you find this totally baffling just cast your mind back if you're a little bit younger and that puts you into your infancy ask your parents what was it like in your job back in the 80s or 90s. What's different now? Who are the thinkers in your sector? Find them, follow them, reach out to them. Think about what they're saying. Think about what impact that might have on your sector. Try and get ahead of the game by following those kind of really forward-thinking people. And back to the skills economy. So regularly self-reflect, think about your skills. Which ones do you need to learn? Which ones do you need to develop? Think about your character and your personality. They're probably more kind of core strengths and are are much more natural to us. But what are you doing to improve yourself? And what are the stories that will help to showcase you as well? Because that's gonna set you ahead of the game and you won't need to worry about the change that might come. Okay, thank you so much for listening. That's been a longer one than normal, but hopefully you found it quite interesting. I enjoyed going back to the late 90s. Um, I've been and Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next time as we're going to look at the job hunt. And I'll give the final word to our AI chatbot. I asked it the question, do robots want to take over the world? And it said, no, robots do not have the capacity to want or desire anything, including taking over the world and wiping out humans.